Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes. And Greg, of course, is Inside Carolina's beat writer, but not only that, the best reporter anywhere that's covered this NCAA North Carolina stuff. And Greg, the day has come. Uh, Wednesday, August 16th, the Committee on Infractions hearing in Tennessee, which is interesting to me why it's not in Indianapolis. But if you know why, shed some light for me because it's just confusing. But tell us just briefly about what to expect and, and what will happen on Wednesday the 16th and Thursday the 17th. Well, essentially what, what we have take place in Nashville uh, and it is odd that it's not in Indianapolis, but it's I think it's at the uh, Lord Opry Ho- Hotel. So it's a nice, nice venue. But essentially what's going to happen is the Committee on Infractions hearing panel serves as a jury of sorts. And North Carolina, as well as the other involved parties, are invited to come. Uh, that includes Jan Boxel, Deborah Crowder, Julius Nangaro along with UNC, uh, and they will serve basically as the defense. If you're looking at this as kind of a courtroom setting, the prosecution would be the enforcement staff, and then the hearing panel kind of serves as the jury. And so over a course of two days, typically these these last one day, but I think with the depth of this case, they've already scheduled it to last both Wednesday and Thursday. And the enforcement staff will make its case as to why it alleged what it alleged, and North Carolina will defend itself. And then the uh, hearing panel will ask questions and try to figure out exactly what they think took place. And then after the hearing, what will happen is that the the panel will uh, sit down and they will talk about everything. and. It's supposed to be eight to twelve weeks before we actually hear or, or get an infractions report. North Carolina fans remember way back in March 2012, uh, they finally got it after an October 2011 hearing. So I want to say it was right at 19 weeks. So uh, this we could be looking uh, into early next year before something comes comes back out, but it could be later this fall. So basically, this is a, a hearing that happens. It's another step in the process for our listeners and, and folks at Inside Carolina and Carolina fans out there. What will they expect to hear about this hearing and when will they expect to hear it? Like I said off the air, I don't really remember the last one. Now, if, if anybody's expecting to get much information uh, from anybody involved immediately, don't get your hopes up. If you remember back to the 2011 hearing, because everything's ongoing, you essentially got Dick Bedore and Holden Thorpe walked out the door, said uh, it went fine. We can't talk about anything we talked about. And that was pretty much the quote that we got. And that's for a reason. And I think the fact that during the uh, enforcement staff's reply to North Carolina's response to the third notice of allegations, as funny of a line as that may be, uh, they brought up the fact that, hey, you, Bubba Cunningham, was talking about some of the merits of this case, even though he he didn't do anything he wasn't supposed to do. They brought up the fact that, hey, he talked to CBS. uh, He shouldn't have gone to this extent. 
you know, we could find him in violation, but you know, we're not going to. I think the fact that that came out uh, leads me to believe that North Carolina is going to going to play it uh, pretty strict, and they're not going to come out and have some wild comments. They're going to keep everything close to the vest, especially with this being a two day process. You don't want to say anything on Wednesday afternoon. The committee hearing panel hear about it, and that become an issue on the seventeenth. Uh, so. I don't expect to hear much of anything. It's kind of a, a long way to say that, Tommy. But in the coming weeks, uh, we will start to get some information filtering out. But again, it, you know, whatever people on North Carolina side say, what ultimately matters is what the, the panel decides. Uh, and so North Carolina is really not going to have any insight into that until that infractions report is released. Do you think, and this is, of course, is just speculative, but do you think that any of the sort of, not really the Twitter war, but the the stuff that's going on on Twitter, whether it's, um, you know, the constant tweeting about Sankey and, and tweeting about other schools being in the same boat, um, the social media firestorm for Carolina, of course, there's plenty against Carolina. Do you think that any of that ultimately matters to the, to the committee, I mean, they are people. They're not in a vacuum. But do you think that their ruling um, will have anything to do with anything else other than what's heard in that room on the 16th and 17th? That's a great question, Tom. And I, I'll answer it like this. I think it's fair to say that the reason the NCAA reopened this case, I mean, I guess 2014, uh, was before the Weinstein report was released, was because of a lot of media attention. They felt the pressure. They heard some things from Wayne Stein and said, you know what? We're going full bore with this. We think there's something here. We're going to make an example of North Carolina. After Wayne Stein came out, we saw a lot of the national media saying, ah, you've got to hammer North Carolina, academic fraud. And what we ultimately come to learn is that the NCAA, like a lot of those, a lot of, those of us who have followed this closely, NCAA is not in a position to really proclaim academic fraud. They're not in a position to go into a classroom and say, hey, this isn't hard enough. This isn't exactly by the books. They've never been set up to do that. And so the good thing that we saw with the enforcement staff's reply uh, last month is they admitted that. So this is not about the integrity of those courses. This is about uh, the impermissible benefits and the special arrangements between some AFM uh, staff and some of the uh, ASPA staff, the counselors. And that's really what it comes down to. But the fact that the national media, however wrong they may have been on a lot of these topics, made such a big deal about it, the NCAA heard it. And so that's why they really pushed ahead with a lot of this. Now, that shows that media plays a role. And so the fact that it wasn't 100%, yeah, you know, go after North Carolina, that there was guys like Jay Billis, and there was a lot of people around the North Carolina program who were able to say, look, you're actually not doing this by the books. If anything, you're trying to follow along in the Penn State issue of you know, going beyond your jurisdiction. And I think that's a very important aspect of it, is that you know, because you've got all this media and all this social media coming from both sides, it really makes the NCAA sit back and say, okay, this isn't as clear-cut as we thought. There are pressures from both sides, so maybe that will help the process a little bit for North Carolina. I was sitting there listening to you talk, and I'm thinking about 
all these other schools that have been pointed out that do very similar things. And then the Michigan and Auburn cases, which seem similar, maybe even worse. Maybe that's just coming from some being a North Carolina bias, but your take on that. I mean, just, you know, just precedence obviously doesn't matter to the NCAA or does it? I mean, I just don't, what I'm getting to is I just don't see how the NCAA can not do anything to Carolina at this point. And I think a lot of people think that way. Your take on that. I mean, part of me thinks watching it from afar is that it's just a, a dog and pony show by the NCAA. But the other part that I see, I say Carolina's going to get hit hard. Whatever the final outcome is down the line with a you know, litigation or whatever is one thing. But I think the NCAA is in a position where if they're going to ever save face in some form, at least temporarily, they got to do it in this case. What's your take on that? I think that's the great debate, Tommy, because depending on who you talk to around the, the North Carolina program, the atmosphere, the community, people who hold sway, you get a little bit of both. You get people saying, you know what, they're going to hammer us regardless of what we say, regardless of the lawyers that, that we take to Nashville. And then on the other hand, you've got people saying, you know what, they really just wanted to kind of expand the scope with what Sankey did last fall during the procedural hearing. I don't think there's any question that he went outside his, his role as the chairman and setting up that procedural hearing the way he did. That was not by the books, by any standards. I don't think that's up for debate. But even saying that, there are some who thinks he was just trying to kind of open up the scope of the case so that the committee could actually look at everything and make an informed opinion. Now, and then I think what most people say is that we really don't know what to expect because what it's going to come down to is what this hearing panel decides. You know, is, it a, is it a favorable hearing panel for North Carolina? They understand the technicalities of the case, or is it people who just want to make a, a statement and say, you know what, even though some of this stuff doesn't fit exactly within the bylaws, uh, we need to make sure this kind of thing never happens again. We're going to use North Carolina as an example, however any appeal or legal action moving forward may play out. And so I think that's kind of the key takeaway, Tommy, is that it really depends on how the makeup of the jury uh, is and what they actually think, I say jury, the hearing panel, what they actually think about the case laid out before them. Because one of the interesting dynamics of this, and I'll mention this real quick, is the fact that a lot of these issues that the NCAA is talking about, some of these special arrangements, uh, the ACC, the Compliance Department, told North Carolina those things were allowable under NCAA bylaw. So, not only is this, it's not like UNC said, oh, we thought it was a bylaw. We, we, you know, oh, we didn't know. They're not saying that. They're like, look, we checked with the ACC and the ACC agreed with our interpretation. Uh, so that, I think that gives it a lot of weight. And so I think that'll be an interesting thing of, of how some of those panel hearing members hear that and hear that, okay, so maybe they were really trying to follow bylaws here uh, with how some of these classes were were given out and allowed to take place. Very interesting. It'd be, it would be good to be a fly on the wall in these hearings over the next couple of days. I know you would love to be certainly to just sort of glean some insight because a lot of times in a, in a setting like that, 
and you've likened it to a courtroom setting, and it is, is you can gather a lot of information based on what folks ask. And it'll be interesting to, to see that portion of it. But Greg, just to, to you know, re-educate our listeners, the hearings on the 16th and 17th, we're looking at two, three, poss- one, two, possibly three more months. So give me your estimate on when all this is done. <laughs> uh, well, let's let's approach it like this. Okay, so we're, we're talking about middle of August. Typically for an infractions report, you're looking at eight to 12 weeks. So that gets us into uh, October, November timeframe, best case scenario. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, we were talking with some lawyers and they say, you know what? If you start you know, getting into Christmas time and the holiday season, you know, a lot of these people are going to be tough to get a hold of. And so maybe the conversations take a little bit longer. So I would say, I, I'm, I'm going to say probably early next year. I could be wrong, but that's my guess, say January or so. And from there, it really depends on what the, the penalties that come down in the refraction report are. I mean, I, I don't think it's the slam dunk case that North Carolina is going to appeal or take this to court. If it's if you know the if the penalties are not severe, and maybe North Carolina just goes ahead and appeals and, and tries to uh, you know, reduce them even further. But if they are manageable, if they're not severe, if it's not taking down banners or vacating wins or whatever, maybe if it's just penalties or uh, probation or whatever, they may say, you know what, we've been dealing with this forever. It's 2018 now. Yeah, this started way back in 2010, essentially. Let's be done with it and move on. But if we get into a situation where uh, North Carolina feels that the penalties were unjust, they want to go through the appeal process, I mean, you're adding another four months to the equation. I think it's 110 days is how long that uh, appeal hearing process takes. And so now you're getting into, you know, obviously, in the spring. And then at that point, because the appeals committee, their decision is final, at that point, North Carolina would ha- may have to make the decision, okay, do we want to take this to court? And, Tommy, as you know, if UNC makes that decision, next spring or next summer, we could be talking about this for, for years to come. It all started with a text from you on the July of 2010 when I was at the beach. Uh, the seventh anniversary of that text was last month. Greg, you've, you've worked hard on it. I'm sure we'll talk plenty more times, but we'll look forward to the next step in the process. Carolina defending themselves the 16th and 17th in Nashville at, like you said, the Gaylord. That's not, not, a, not, not a bad little vacation. Greg, look forward to your reporting. Appreciate you joining me. All right. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.